We're continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 is often called the love chapter. It's, it's, it's a interesting, it's, it's, it divides two chapters on the spiritual gifts. And as such, I think it points to the reality that the Apostle Paul intended for 1 Corinthians 13 to be a pivot point of the whole book. Um, one of the really outstanding commentaries on 1 Corinthians, it's outstanding because it actually agrees with me, says that um, all of the problems that are reflected in the Corinthian church can be solved by applying the truth of 1 Corinthians 13 and the absence of love. That's why it's so much a focal point of the book. The Corinthian church was a broken church. It was a divided church. And in many ways, the time in Corinth reflects where we are today. We are incredibly divided people. You know, I remember the 60s. I remember Woodstock. By the time we got to Woodstock, you know. I mean, really great music, great culture. Um, um, It was a divided time as well. We had the Vietnam War. We had the issue of race then. We had other things going on. But And maybe it's just that I was a teenager then and kind of oblivious. But it just seems like today the divisions are impacting and infecting the church in a way that is unique. Because the, the issues have, with COVID, the issue of how we worship and all, and, and, and the questions over how we should live out our faith, all of those have seemed to have impacted the church in a way like I've never experienced in my lifetime. And, and one of the really fascinating things that uh, I see multiple emails on almost every day, because I'm a pastor on, is what will the church look like when it comes back? And and what will we have learned? And what what will we have corrected? And what have we found out we needed in church? Uh, church, in so many ways, has become about the big performance. The big church with the big performance, with the big music budget, and the big, you know, the big star preacher has become the big news in church movement. And the whole emphasis of, of community and relationships and, and longevity in a community has sort of been lost. And it'll be interesting to see what we long for when we have been away from church for a time. Um, and I don't know. I really don't. I'm not smart enough to project the future. All I know is that we will come back and we will hopefully have learned some things. Because there's universal opinion that the church is not having the impact that God intended for it to have in America today, right? And in the Corinthian church, my argument is, and and like I said, one of the great, really outstanding expositors on it agrees with me. That's why he's outstanding. He says that that every one of these issues for the church would have been solved for Corinth if they had applied 1 Corinthians 13. In other words, every sin is ultimately a sin of love. And I can argue for that just by Jesus' words. What is the great commandment? The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus himself said, foundationally and fundamentally, obedience to God is about loving. Period. Loving. So the so the primary message that God intended for us to project to the world is the love of God, period. More than anything else, period. 
And in many ways, the failure of the evangelical church in America, and for that matter, around the world, is when we forget that and we, we place other things as primary, right? And the Corinthian church is an incredibly dysfunctional church. They're broken. They, have, they are famous. Of all the churches in the New Testament, they are particularly famous for their brokenness. And, and yet, Paul says, uh, I think, in 1 Corinthians 13, essentially, your problem is that you don't love. They had sexuality, but that had nothing to do with love. That was about raw sexuality. They, they had church. They did the Lord's table. They did worship, but, but it wasn't necessarily about love. The fact of the matter is Christians can, can do all kinds of things that give the appearance of living out the, the commands of Scripture, but when they are absent of love, as we talked about last week, then, then they're just noise. They're just noise. So today we're going to start studying through the characteristics that Paul gives for love in verses 4 through 8 of 1 Corinthians. But first, I want you to see that I'm not making up the problem of divisions. In chapter 11, fascinating passage, talks about head covering in the local for women. Uh, that was one of the papers I got to write in seminary. Julie is not wearing a head covering. Um, so that tells you where I landed on that. Um, I did what she told me. Anyway, verse uh, chapter 11, he says, the following directives, I have no praise for you. I have no praise for you because your meetings, verse 17 of chapter 11, do more harm than good. You, when you come together as a church, you do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together a church, there are divisions among you. When a church has division, it's doing more harm than good. Stop and think about that. And, and some of them aren't necessarily public. In other words, you know, some of them are those silent rules no one acknowledges where uh, you, this family always sits on the opposite side from that family because they worship together, but they can't stand each other, you know? Are, are there different factions that are divided according to different things, whether it's politics or whatever? There are different things that divide the church. He said where the, you're, you're doing more harm than good because there's division among you. Um, Jesus in John 17 and John 13 said, uh, there, uh, John 17 in particular, your unity de describes to the world that the Father sent me which by implication your disunity describes the world that Jesus really isn't the Son of God. When, I, when this church made the horrifying decision to ask me to be senior pastor over 18 years ago, um, I know I was horrified. Um, I, I set as one of my goals that we would be a church had unity. We, we had diversity of age, you know, we had uh, the older generation that loved the organ music and the choir, and then we had the younger people that were wanting that, you know, that Christian rockabilly stuff and, and all that other punk rock stuff, you know, and, and um, um, we, we had differences of perspective in so many areas. But Julie and I, in a five-year period, were associated with three different churches, all of which split. Um, and I, I saw the damage that was done when Christians failed to love each other. 
when kids walked away from their family and said, if that's what it is, I don't want it. When families were blown apart because that which was supposed to bring them together became an object that divided them. And, and God used it in my life, and I, I said, Lord, I'm going to fail at a lot of things, but one thing I am never going to quit trying to do is bring unity at grace. And, and it defines so much of what we do here. It's why we have a traditional service and contemporary service. It's why we, we work so hard in so many ways providing unity. And, and I'll tell you straight up, one of the greatest fears I have right now is that the disunity in our society will infect our church. And we will fail at the love of Christ because of what's going on around us. And I got to tell you, if you're committed to disunity, I'm committed to fighting you in Christian love because I believe one of my commitments as a leader of this church is to work to hold together the cause of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, you know, you do more harm than good when you come together and you're divided. Think about that. I'd rather you not go to church if you're going to be that way, he's saying. See, we, we live in a broken world. We've gotten used to disunity. It's, it's normal in our lives. We have people that we don't speak to. We have people that we don't get along. And we come to think, well, that's just normal. But it's not. Not in the body of Christ. So he says, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. So that when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. When you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. In the early church, they would come together for a common meal they called the love feast. And after that, they would have what we call the Lord's table together. And he said, you're coming in and you're impatient so that you won't wait for others. You have no concern for those who have less, a lack of kindness. So instead of it being a feast, a meal that brings you together, it is in fact an expression of your lack of concern for others and divides you. And some of you ended up gluttons and drunks as a result of it. It's amazing. Satan can even use the Lord's table to create sin and disunity in the body of Christ. Incomprehensible, isn't it? And Paul says, I'll have none of it. I'll have none of it. Um, So what's the answer? Well, no Beatles song. Love is the answer. First uh, Corinthians thirteen four through eight begin with two characteristics. We'll deal together. Love is patient, and love is kind. Uh, scholars have acknowledged that these are in many ways two two sides of the same coin. Patience means I I, I love the King James translation long suffering long-suffering. It, it, it means not um, punishing, not criticizing, not, not doing what your actions could deserve. Kindness is, an, is doing the positive. It's that act which recognizes your worthiness as a child of God. That, but both are those 
those aspects of love that in many ways are the hardest to live out, aren't they? You know, Julie and I, uh, they, I got double dog dare that I wouldn't say this in this service. So, you know, we've been, this is our 45th year of marriage and how lucky can a woman be, right? Um, no, 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 don't, don't, no. Just, just tell her you're sorry after the service. And, and, and uh, you know what you learn is, is, you know what holds a marriage together? It's, it's patience and kindness. It's not the big stuff. It's not the big stuff. It's the little things of life, of patience and kindness. It's, it's, it's her not telling me how much I'm annoying her at that point in time. That's patience. And, it, and it's her doing simple things of kindness that are expressions of love. See, patience and kindness are two of those simple words that um, <laughs> we kind of say as those are little th- values. Can I suggest to you, because they're the everyday moment-by-moment moment values, they're the ones that make difference in life. Um, one of the burdens that when you get my age you have is, is uh, we've attended Grace since 1986, and I, I know the children that have grown up at Grace and have left the faith with great parents, great families. And can I tell you that more often than not, it's their disappointment with the absence of patience and kindness of other Christians than some big thing. I personally think one of the reasons that uh, many 20-somethings have turned away from the church is, and 30-somethings is because of they perceive a lack of patience and kindness in the moral majority movement, the political involvement of Christians. It may not be a fair evaluation, but it's, it's what they perceive. There was a lack of patience and kindness. There was vitriol rather than an extension of love. See, it's, it's not the big things. We all get the big things. It's, it's those little acts day to day that make the difference between whether you feel affirmed as a human being or torn down as a human being. And he says, love, love is patient. It, it, it cares. What keeps us from being patient? Well, our pride. How dare you do this when... You know who I am. Our own insecurities, uh, our fears. Fear is a massive motivator. Oftentimes it's because we're focused on something else, a task to be done or something else. And in our focus on that other thing, we've lost that focus in loving each other, right? There, there. Uh, impatience and lack of kindness uh, it, it comes out of a whole lot of things but can I tell you I, I think it's the, it's the day to day fuel of love and it's what our hearts long for a few years ago I, I started being more conscious about uh, in the durable considerations of life you know a, a, a waiter or someone behind a counter, or the people I run into in life, I, I, used, I, I became more intentional about trying to express appreciation, just kind words. Do you know it's amazing how nice people are when you are? 
Now, patience and kindness is not the same as North Dallas kindness. I mean, patience and kindness is not the same thing as North Dallas niceness. North Dallas niceness is a way we act because it's expected culturally and we have to do it in order to get what we want out of people, right? North Dallas niceness, and not just North Dallas, but we're in North Dallas. North Dallas niceness is, are those social courtesies that we teach our children just because it, makes, it just greases the skids of life. And, and that has value, but it's, it's, it's a millimeter thick. Patience and kindness is sacrificial because it reflects the love of God. Um, in fact, let me show you some ways to argue that it's a reflection of the love of God. In chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, and I told you we're going to look at the book of Corinthians through the lens of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Verse 14, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you have not many fathers. For in Christ, I became your father through the gospel. He says, don't forget who I am. I'm the guy who told you about Jesus. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me for this reason. I've sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of the way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. He said, I'm sending in a person who will model the character of Christ. One of the questions we have to ask ourselves, in the church, what do we value? Do we value great giftedness? Do we value great pride? Do we value impressiveness? Or do we value the character of Christ? Timothy was timid. He had stomach problems because of his anxiety. He was a mama's boy. But Paul said, I'm sending him because he's the big gun. He has the character I value. He goes on to say, uh, some of you become arrogant as if I weren't coming to you, but I will come very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? There's the key phrase. Shall I come to you with the rod of discipline or shall I come to you in love with a gentle spirit? Notice there's still discipline, but the starting point is love and a general spirit. That's patience and kindness. First Thessalonians 5.14, he says, Urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Everyone. Fundamentally, the reason we have patience and kindness as a major goal is because of Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans 2, four, verse 4. If you want to write a verse down, write down Romans 2, 4. Romans is, is uh, probably the greatest theological book in, in, in all of history. Ephesians is a close second. But Romans is Paul's uh, logical explanation of the gospel and its implications. And in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, his forbearance, and his patience? 
Don't you realize that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God is patient and kind with us so that we'll come to know him. You you understand that in the garden, God had every right to zap Adam and Eve like a bug light in East Texas. Zip, they're gone. Do over. But Scripture says that God continues to hold back his wrath because he's not willing that any should perish. God is patient and kind with us because that patience, that non-judgment allows him the opportunity to continue to show his love to us with the deep hope that we will respond to that. And God expects us to be patient and kind with others because the God of the universe was patient and kind with us. I can't tell you how often when I have an impatient or unkind thought, one of, side by side with it is the thought, do they know who I am? Right? They wouldn't treat me this way if they knew who I am. I'm Julie's husband for crying out loud. And if, if, if it's important who I am, whether I receive patience and kindness, how much more important is the fact that the God of the universe would extend patience and kindness to me? And John, uh, who is depicted as the disciple whom Jesus loved, said, we love him because he first loved us. We demonstrate patience because he demonstrated patience toward us. 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter says the same thing. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We're called to demonstrate the love of God by being patient and kind with each other. even when we disagree, even when we're annoying, even when people don't understand just how superior our reasoning is to theirs, right? See, this stuff isn't negotiable in the body of Christ. It's not negotiable whether we will treat other Christians with respect and patience and kindness. That is not something we get to sit back in and judge whether they deserve it or not. Because thank God he didn't do it for us, right? The reality is, according to Scripture, we love the way we were loved and the way we were loved was, and are loved is incredible patience and kindness. And can I suggest to you that we've turned a lot of more people away from Jesus with this than we have with our understanding of the hypostatic union or the trinity of God. It's not our theology that turns people away. It's our character. Because this is hard, right? This is hard. But love is hard. 
See, the lie of our society is that love is something that's easy. It just overcomes you. You can't help yourself but love. That is written by junior high kids. With all due respect to junior high kids, I don't mean that. But in other words, uh, people that are young enough, they've never experienced that, that loving over time is work, right? I mean, loving someone that disappoints you. Loving someone that, you know, doesn't quite live up to their promise. Loving someone that does the same annoying thing over and over and over again. One of my favorite things of, of, in marital counseling, it's fascinating. You sit down with a couple that are ready to divorce. And you say, well, why is it you want to divorce? And, and, and for instance, he might say, well, she's so irresponsible. She has no plan. She gets up in the morning. Well, she wakes up to a whole new world every day. And she just, she just goes about. She has no plan for life. And, on and, on and, on. and finally, when he's through, I'll say, so why did you marry her? Oh, she was so spontaneous and fun-loving. And you thought, well, that's kind of what you're... See, the difference is when you choose to love, those things can be attractive. When you choose not to love, those things can be repelling. That's why love is patient. When we first fall in love, we, we have all these, uh, you know, little things we say to each other. And... and Hopefully, if you're a guy, no one overhears you because they make you turn in your man card immediately. You know, it's just, you know, and, 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 and then over time, we can fall into the attitude, I told her I loved her, I'll get back to her if it changes. You know what I mean? We, we lose that willingness to say the kind word and do the kind thing. We, we, we fall into ruts of selfishness. The, the body of Christ... should be known for love more than anything else. If I read Scripture, I can't get around that. The body of Christ should be known for love more than anything else. Love of each other and love of the community more than anything else. Now, one word of caution. Let me tell you what love is not. Chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Incest. And you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man who is doing this. For my part, even though I'm not even present, I'm with you in spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this one who is doing this. Put him out. Now, love is not that soft-sided emotionalism that accepts even actions that are harmful. Today, there's an attitude, well, if you really love me, you'd support whatever I do. Well, no, love always wants what's best for you. You know, if I love you, I don't want you to play in the middle of Central Expressway at 5 o'clock. 
even if you want to do that, because that's, that's harmful, right? And, and uh, I want you to see that it, it's not just a sentimentality that says everyone can, I don't care. There, there is still the standard of God's righteousness, because God's righteousness, hear me, is a perfect expression of His love. God's righteousness is a perfect expression of His love. Those don't contradict each other. And so, the, this doesn't mean that, that none of that other stuff matters. We just, you know, love each other. It, it means that we care so deeply about each other that, that, we, that we value what's best for other people. And the first face of that is patience and kindness. In fact, Paul will, and, and Jesus will talk about confronting people and it says, with mourning and humility. But it doesn't mean that I, I look the other way if I love you and don't care that you're in behavior that will ultimately do you harm, right? That makes sense? So part of what the body of Christ should be is a place where we, we not, we're not just nice, but we're patient and kind with each other, even when we disagree, even when we disagree. Even when we disagree, we're patient and kind with each other. And, and that face of patience and kindness is what we present to each other as well as what we present to the world. But that patience and kindness does not keep us from standing for what is true. But truth is not covered in arrogance and condemnation. It's covered in humility and love. And men and women, the body of Christ in America has failed at that more often than we want to admit. Out of our own insecurities, out of our own hurt, out of our own fears, there are a lot of reasons for it, but, but we can be better than that. We can be better than that because we're broken. One of, uh, one of the reasons... I've always embarrassed that I'm your pastor is because some of the things that go through my mind that you don't need to know. Like one of them is, um, I, I grew up in a church and, and I, I enjoyed Sunday morning and I hated Sunday night services. Sunday night service, it was always real skinny. There weren't many people and, and we would have to stand and behave. And I remember in junior high and high school just suffering through Sunday night services. And, and we would sing those old hymns and, and Hardly anyone was there. There was no, and it was just painful. And so, I, 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 yeah, I did. I, I got to thinking how many of the old hymns sounded like drinking songs, you know. Um, I mean, they, some of them just sound like the singers plastered when they're singing them, right? One of those is Only a Sinner Saved by Grace. If you know that song, I always thought, yeah, you bet you are, because you're just about three sheets of the wind right now when you wrote that song. I know, they'll have to edit this out. It, but it's so true. The more we're aware of our sinfulness, the more we're in love with God's grace. And the more we're in love with God's grace, the more we extend that kind of love and grace to other people. 
Because after all, we're just only a bunch of sinners that are saved by God's grace. Who experience the love of God. Incredible. I mentioned that one of my mentors who's with the Lord now, in his 80s, he looked at me and said, you know, I've always been grateful for God's grace. But the longer I love, the more grateful I am for his mercy. In God's grace, he gave me, th- gave me things I didn't deserve. But the longer I live, the more I realize how much he didn't do that I did deserve. The more we grow in Christ, the more humble we are. The more humble we are, the more we extend grace to others. And the more we extend grace to others, the more patient and kind we become. Pray with me. Father, we confess that we are sometimes presenting to the world a face that is deeply inconsistent with who you are. So that the world is reasonable when it looks and said, if that's Jesus, that's not what I want. Father, we confess that in our homes, in our work, in our cars, patience and kindness aren't always what we reveal. Lord, I pray that the remarkable truth that your love extended to the point of giving your sons for our sins so that all we had to do was entrust ourselves to you brings forgiveness. Lord, I pray that that, the, that whole concept of your forgiveness would instruct our love in the way we deal with each other. Father, forgive us for the divisions that are among us, racially, politically, generationally. So many divisions in the body of Christ. Lord, teach us what it is to be patient and kind in the way we love. Because every day you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.